Welcome to the Tipping Point program. I'm Mark Hitchcock, and on uh, today's episode, I'm going to uh, be talking about uh, spiritual warfare uh, that I think is ramping up as we approach uh, the end times. In our uh, subscriber portion, I'm answering some questions, uh, some really important questions, as well as responding to some news um, about uh, some things happening uh, in Russia, uh, some things happening in Israel, and then some things happening here in our own country as well. Uh, a comment that was made uh, this week by uh, one of President uh, Biden's uh, top advisors about a liberal world order. So we'll be talking about that in, in the subscriber portion. Uh, but uh, what I want to talk about is uh, the topic of, of spiritual warfare. And I'm sure all of us who know the Lord um, have experienced some form of spiritual warfare in our lives. And certainly it's around us all the time. We're, we're experiencing it, whether we sense it at a given time or not. But several years ago, I was uh, up in Upper State New York with my friend Tommy Ice. Some of you may know Tommy. He's a well-known Bible prophecy teacher. We were speaking there at, at a church called the Calvary Chapel of the Finger Lakes. And uh, we, we were there a little bit before the conference. And so the, the man who was putting the conference on, the pastor of the church, asked us if we'd want to go down to, to a place called Palmyra. Uh, Palmyra is the uh, birthplace of uh, Joseph Smith, who's, of course, the founder of Mormonism. And uh, there down at Palmyra is the, the home where Joseph Smith grew up. And there's uh, a place, a hill not far from there called Camorra. And that's the, the place supposedly that uh, the angel Moroni uh, gave to, uh, to Joseph Smith the, these uh, golden plates upon which the, the Book of Mormon were written. So the, this hill Camorra features this 10-foot bronze figure of this angel Moroni um, with a, a finger pointing to heaven. It's 10 foot tall. It's on a huge 25-foot uh, shaft of, of white granite standing there on the top of this hill. So the day we went there was freezing cold. It's upper state New York, and it, it's bitter cold. It's January, and I didn't have a real heavy jacket, but we set out to, we parked our car and set out to walk across this land bridge out to where this statue of Moroni is, and it's probably 100 yards away. So we park our car, maybe, maybe a little bit more than 100 yards, park the car, and um, it's freezing cold, but there's no wind. I'm looking up at the tops of the trees, and there's no wind that's blowing. So we set out to walk across this land bridge and we get, uh, oh, I don't know, about a, a fourth of the way there and the wind begins to howl. I mean, hard blowing wind. I'm from Oklahoma, so I know, uh, I know uh, high winds and these winds had to be 50 or 60 miles an hour. They almost, it almost blew me over. And I was walk faster than other people I'm with, so I was kind of out ahead walking ahead of Tommy and this pastor we were with. And I looked back at them and I had my jacket pulled up over my ears and they were trying to, to weather this wind as well, blowing. I made it about halfway and I looked back and they had turned back. So I turned around as well and pulled my jacket up over my other ear. My ears were frozen by this time and made my way back with difficulty back to the parking lot, to the car and sat down in the car and just freezing. And as we sat there in the car, I said, what in the world was that? And then we all looked up at the tops of the trees and the wind was dead still again. So it's dead still. Then all of a sudden, they're just about to blow us over and then dead still again. And we all sensed that there was someone, something that didn't want us to make it out to that place that day, that wanted to keep us away from there. And there was really no natural explanation for what happened that afternoon at Camorra. And I believe that experience was a very real expression of spiritual warfare. 
Somebody didn't want us there for some reason. And so what we experienced was a physical manifestation of the spiritual invisible war that's raging around us all the time. Now, as real as that encounter was, I don't believe in spiritual warfare because of what happened to me. I believe in spiritual warfare because it's clearly taught in God's word. And there's no chapter, I think, that makes that more clear than the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel. So if you have a Bible handy, you might open up uh, to Daniel chapter 10, and you're, you're going to want to read this chapter later. But Daniel 10 is about spiritual warfare in the unseen realm. And spiritual warfare is the invisible cosmic conflict that's being waged in the spiritual realm, but it's being fleshed out in the vis visible physical world. And that's what Daniel chapter 10 is all about. Now make no mistake, spiritual warfare is real, Satan is real, and demons are real. Many, many millennia ago led a rebellion and having a conspiracy against God. And when he fell to the earth, he fell and a third of the angels fell with him, according to Revelation chapter 12, uh, verses 3 and 4. His tail swept a third of the, the stars of heaven with him. And since that time, Satan has had a, a shadow kingdom uh, that's been opposed to uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, we can't see it with our visible eyes, but if we could just unzip this present dimension we're in and pull it apart for a moment, we'd get a glimpse into the spiritual conflict that's taking place all around us. And the Bible tells us, especially like here in Daniel 10, that there's a, a high-level spiritual combat and conflict that's taking place in the spiritual realm. Um, Abraham Kuyper, he was a great theologian. He served as prime minister of the Netherlands. He said this, he said, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, so sweeping, it would sweep everything within its range, that the fiercest battle fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there is where the real conflict is engaged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. And here in Daniel chapter 10, the veil is pulled back slightly and we get a glimpse into the spiritual realities behind this uh, spiritual conflict. And so Abraham Kuyper was right that the most powerful forces in our world are unseen forces. Now, Daniel 10 makes it clear that we live in a world with windows. We live in a world with windows. And he opens some of those windows for us to see this invisible world around us. Now, I won't have time to give a lot of this background, but Daniel chapters 10 to 12 is the final vision in the book of Daniel. This last section of the book, you have a vision in chapter 7, one in chapter 8, one in chapter 9, and then ch chapters 10 to 12 is this long last uh, vision. And as you go through Daniel, the visions get more complicated and they get longer. But Daniel 10 is just a long introduction to this vision. What you have in Daniel 10, it's, it's 536 BC. Uh, the Persian Empire is reigning over Israel. Uh, some of the Jewish people have already gone back from the Babylonian captivity, but Daniel has stayed in uh, Babylon, which is being ruled over now by the Persians. And Daniel is praying and fasting for three weeks. He's prayed to God and, and sought God, and nothing has happened for three weeks. And uh, finally, Daniel has given us understanding about this. The angel uh, Gabriel appears uh, to give him uh, some understanding. And uh, what he finds out here in, in this vision is he, when he began to pray, God immediately heard his prayer. 
So demonic spirits can't keep God from hearing our prayer. They said that the moment you prayed, Daniel, God heard you. But God heard the prayer, and then as God heard the prayer, God dispatched a good angel to come and give Daniel the answer, to give him a vision, a great vision of the future. But at the same time God dispatched a good angel, Daniel chapter 10 tells us Satan dispatched an evil angel to come and to intercept that angel and interrupt his uh, bringing the message uh, to Daniel. And what takes place then is an unbelievable conflict that takes place uh, in the heavenly places. It's a, a, a titanic battle when these uh, two angels uh, clash with one another in the spiritual realm. And it lasts for three weeks. So Daniel's answer to his prayer is delayed for three weeks because of this titanic clash uh, that's taking place again in this unseen realm. Now, we don't know what this demonic spirit did to oppose this good angel. We don't know, you know what kind of weapons angels and demons used to fight one another. But what we do know is after three weeks of intense fighting, this good angel with the help of Michael the archangel, Michael the archangel had to come help this good angel. They finally defeated this demon and the angel was able to continue on down to give his answer to Daniel. And what's fascinating here in, in Daniel chapter 10 is this angel that opposed, the, this demon that opposed the good angel is called here the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, Persia was the superpower in that day. They were the leading nation. They were the nation that was dominating Israel at that time. And this prince of Persia, and it's clear here that the prince of Persia is not a human ruler. This prince of Persia is a demonic prince. We know that because it took a good angel plus Michael the archangel to defeat him. I mean, if he was just a human being, he could have been easily dispatched. So he's called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And then the end of verse 13, there in Daniel chapter 10, we have the kings of Persia, which may be some other kind of lesser uh, demonic spirits as well that were, that were kind of associated uh, with this area. So Daniel, uh, when he receives this vision in Daniel chapter 10, he's actually over um, by, the, by the Tigris River. He's kind of gone over there. We don't know if it's on some official business, but he's there in the land still of Babylon, but he's seeing things uh, that are relating to, to Israel's future. So this great angelic battle uh, takes place. Now, we learn several things from this passage. First of all, we learn that spiritual warfare is obscured. By obscured, I mean it's concealed. I mean, it's something we can't see. Now, you say, well, that's obvious, but it's going on behind the scenes. We don't know how many demons there are. Uh, we do know that in Revelation chapter 9, there's an army of 200 million. Now, some take that to be a human army, but I take that it's a demonic army. So that's 200 million just in that one army. So there may be billions or even trillions of demonic spirits. And so it's all obscured, though, and concealed from us, but it's also highly organized. I mean, it's a very organized uh, uh, army that Satan has. Satan's called the god of this world. He's the prince of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. First uh, John five nineteen says the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. But we also know that Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be one place at one time. Now, I think he can move very quickly as a spirit being, but he can only be one place at one time. So he has a vast network of demons that he, that he uses to extend his presence and his power. 
So Satan leads a vast, well-organized kingdom that opposes God's work, again, in this high a cosmic level of combat. I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, You do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there's a hierarchy of demonic spirits appointed to certain geographical areas and nations. They're often called territorial spirits because, again, we have mentioned here uh, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And then if you go on down in uh, this passage, down to verse 20, you have a mention here of the prince of Greece. So we know from history that Babylon was the first great world power, then Medo-Persia, then Greece. So these demonic spirits have already anticipated where the action will be moving next. And we have here the prince of Greece who's mentioned, who's the demonic spirit that was in control of Greece as well. So all of this is happening to manipulate and to influence and to control the direct decisions coming out of Persia, a demonic spirit that's over that part of the world. Now, if in Daniel's day there was a demonic spirit assigned to Persia and one to Greece, we can be assured today that demonic spirits are active in the halls of the United States Senate and the White House. There's a prince of North Korea. There's a prince of Iran. There's a prince of China. There's a prince of um, the United States. So Satan's evil network is a vast invisible structure that's working behind the scenes in the governments of this world. And if back in Daniel's day, Persia was the great superpower, and then Greece would be next, we can be sure that these demonic spirits have the United States in their crosshairs today because we're the, the world's great superpower and we must be number one on their hit list. And you don't have to look very far to see that Satan has unleashed a relentless attack on the heart and the soul of our country. He's undermining and undercutting the foundations of society. I mean, you don't have to look very far to see the, the gender confusion and chaos in our country. He's attacking the very image of God, unraveling God's design for humanity in this gender rebellion. We see it with the abortion madness in our country, which thankfully, by God's grace, he's given us a little bit of a reprieve from, although certainly it won't outlaw abortion. Maybe it will diminish it to some degree. We see unnatural marriage, again, attacking the very foundations that God has put in place. We see Satan, uh, satanic spirits, stirring up leaders to oppose God's people. And we see the lawlessness in our country. You, you look at America today, and it's, it's like the, the demons of violence have really been unleashed against us. We stand kind of in Satan's way of bringing his full agenda to, to, to pass in this world. We're the last bastion of, of real freedom and, and power in this world that's standing in his way. So I think he's unleashing an all-out attack against our country. We just see a moral landslide uh, that's taking place. And again, so many of these things have happened so suddenly and with such sweeping effect, there must be something more sinister behind it than, than just a human depravity. Uh, Ray Steadman said this years ago, he says, is there a demon assigned to the United States of America on a mission to disrupt faith, destroy religious liberty, wage war against the innocent and unborn, undermine education, destroy truth, embolden evil, ridicule righteousness, pervert justice, and discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
As you look around at events in our society, doesn't it seem obvious? In fact, the evil prince of America, he calls him here, just like the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, has undoubtedly won several promotions for his successful activity in recent years. It's a well said. Um, the, the, whoever the demonic spirit is in control of America has probably won a lot of promotions uh, recently. Again, we see this all-out attack against our, our nation, and you, it may be that these demonic spirits are divided all the way down to cities. You know, there may be a demonic spirit of Oklahoma City, where I live, um, of Dallas, of um, you know every, any city you want to name, maybe all the way down to the municipal level. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse was a great preacher years ago. He put it like this, the entire globe is organized under principalities corresponding to earthly governments. If there is a prince of Persia and a prince of Greece, may we not be astonished there's a prince of Russia, a prince of India, a prince of Great Britain, a prince of the United States. This is not mere conjecture, for it's clearly stated that earthly government is in the hands of Satan. Satan may even have corporals in charge of municipal affairs. It's well-organized uh, network uh, that Satan has. And what's interesting, when you look in the context of Daniel chapter 10 and 11, Daniel 11 is one of the great prophecies of the Bible. There are 135 prophecies in 34 verses in Daniel 11, 2 through 35. It's, it's the most uh, concentrated uh, place you'll find prophecy, fulfilled prophecy in the Bible. And so these satanic spirits did not want that message to get to Daniel. They didn't want this message to get to Daniel that proves the truth of the Bible. So I like to say that these demonic spirits fought Daniel chapter 11 and the revelation there being given. They fought it to, 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 get it, to, to keep it from coming to the earth. And ever since it's been on earth, liberal critics have fought Daniel 11 to try to show that it's not really the fulfillment of prophecy because it proves the Bible. So Satan is in an all-out attack against God, against God's people, and against God's word. So he's obstructing what God wants to do. And what he does is highly organized. And we can expect this spiritual warfare to escalate and intensify as the end draws near. Uh, the tribulation period will be an unprecedented time of demonic activity. Read Revelation chapter nine. Uh, the shaft of the abyss is gonna be opened up and these demonic spirits will pour out into the earth and afflict people for five months. Uh, the Antichrist will, will be Satan's vessel that he will use during the tribulation period. He's gonna be doing all kinds of, of satanic uh, uh, signs and wonders. Someone has described that the Antichrist is just you know Satan with skin on. And, and I think we can already see that intensification now as Satan is ramping up his efforts because time is short. I hope you understand this, but Satan knows the Bible, and Satan understands Bible prophecy. Um, he knows it well. He, he reads the Bible. He understands, and he can see the signs of the times just like we can. And as he sees the signs of the times, I believe that he knows as well that his time is short. And as he realizes that his time is growing short, everything is being ramped up by him. And so there's never been a time, I think, that it's more important to understand this cosmic war and to put on the full armor of God. You and I don't need to despair. First uh, John 4, 4 tells us, greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. But we need to, do need to be people of prayer. You know, the most important thing today in any war is air superiority. 
If you control the air, if you control the skies, you control the war. And you and I need to gain air superiority in this battle that we have with Satan. And the way we get air superiority um, is through prayer. And you could call this warfare prayer if you want to, that we, we pray and we realize we're in a war and we gain air superiority and air power through offering up our prayers to God for our country, for our families, for our churches. Now, the other thing we need to do is to put on the full armor of God. You can read about that in Ephesians chapter six, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of peace, uh, the shield of faith, uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These are the things that you and I are to take up in these times to give us strength in our marriages, our families, our our homes and our churches uh, to be uh, victors and overcomers through Jesus Christ. Let me uh, just read this one last thought. I, I got this some years ago from David Jeremiah. He said, really, when you think about the armor of God that you and I are to put on, really in many ways, that's just Jesus Christ. We're to put on Jesus. Because in, uh, in, in Romans 13, it says, put on Jesus Christ. He's the armor of light. And David Jeremiah says it like this. Jesus is the belt of truth because he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the breastplate for he is our righteousness. He becomes our shoes of peace because he is our peace. He's the shield of faith, for he's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the helmet of salvation, for we're told in the Bible that we have the mind of Christ. I love that. That means it's critical for us to understand in these times in which we live, we need to be Christ-centered and Christ-focused and put on Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozier put it like this, the best way to keep the enemy out is to keep Christ in. The sheep need not be terrified by the wolf, they have but to stay close to the shepherd. It is not the praying sheep Satan fears, but the presence of the shepherd. May you and I seek every day to draw near to God. And God's promised if we do that, uh, that he'll draw near to us as well. Well, those uh, of you watching on YouTube, uh, be sure to subscribe to this channel uh, to be notified of all the, the latest content. Uh, we're we're going to transition now to our endtimes.com uh, subscriber portion of the show where I'll be answering your questions as well as uh, discussing some current news articles. Um, if you aren't an endtimes.com subscriber, I'm, I encourage you to do that. Uh, you can join today for $7 a month or $77 a year. Uh, just go to endtimes.com and I think you'll, uh, you'll be blessed by what you find there. Thanks for watching our weekly Tipping Point show. If you enjoyed this show, leave a comment below and like and subscribe to our channel. For access to our full show and other great End Times content from teachers like Greg Laurie, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, and myself, join us as a subscriber on endtimes.com for $7 a month or $77 a year. Become a subscriber at endtimes.com for articles, videos, full episodes, and more.